Good morning. It, it is wonderful to worship with you again. It's been a while since I've been with you. Um, I went to seminary with your pastor, and I haven't seen him very much since then because he's never here when I come, but um, he's a good man. <laughs> so, um, And as uh, was mentioned, I am a, an, a chaplain. I work for Harbor Hospice over on the lake shore um, as a chaplain with people nearing the end of their life, which sounds like a hard job, but it is, it is wonderful. Um, Today we are going to be reading from the book of Lamentations, and I looked in your pew Bible, it, where we're going to be reading is found on page 672. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, beginning with verse 19 and reading through verse 26. And if you have a Bible from home, it's found right between Jeremiah and Isaiah, or Ezekiel, sorry. Um, Okay, beginning with verse 19. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The night sky has always fascinated me. I just love to get out at night and look up at the stars, especially when I can go up north away from all of the light pollution that, that seems to kind of hide those stars from us here in West Michigan. I am just awed by the beauty that I see there. Over 30 years ago, the first images from the Hubble Space Telescope came came in and we started to see them. And as you can see, it, it's amazing because we can't even begin to see all of these things when we go out and look up at the night sky. So much more detail and galaxies and nebulas visible. It makes looking at the stars more interesting because we know that this is what we're really looking at. But then, just a few weeks ago, we got the first pictures from the James Webb Space Telescope. This is the same section of space that you just saw from the Hubble Telescope. So many more colors, so much more detail. We can see just galaxies upon galaxies, and it just kind of boggles the mind. The areas of space that had looked like empty blackness on that Hubble picture are filled with galaxies and stars and solar systems. It's beyond our imagination. But when we go outside at night, we can just, if we're lucky, see a few stars, pick out the Big Dipper, if it's winter, maybe Orion, or a couple of other constellations. But when we look up, this is really what's out there. 
even though we can't see it. All of these galaxies and nebulas and solar systems, black holes, they have always been there ever since God spoke them into being. And our ability to see them or not see them, it doesn't change the fact that when we go out at the and look up in, in the sky, even in, in the daytime, they are still there. At the time that the book of Lamentations was written, the Jewish people, they were struggling to look beyond and to see what was really there beyond their present circumstances. They were struggling to see that God was still with them. This book was written in the time of exile, and I know that you have been in the middle of a series on Nehemiah when the, the Jewish people are coming back from exile. This book was written while they were still in the, in the thick of it. They were still in a really rough spot. And this book consists of five separate laments, and each one is an acrostic. So basically, it's an A to Z exploration of all of their pain, all of their grief, all of their doubts and suffering. They are digging in and laying it all out instead of like we are often tempted to do, to just kind of gloss over it and put a happy face on. They are digging in. In verse 19, that first verse that we read, the writer of the book of Lamentations says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. The Babylonians had conquered Judah, and when they came in and conquered them, they took off all but the poorest of the poor people and carried them off into exile in Babylon. And the people that were left in the land, they were suffering greatly. They were hungry and starving because the Babylonian people had also, or the armies, had destroyed the land. Food was scarce. And the writer talks about how they are starving and resorting to the unthinkable acts of cannibalism just to survive. It, it is dire. And when they came and destroyed the land, the Babylonians also completely destroyed Jerusalem, as I'm sure you have heard in this series on Nehemiah. And they had destroyed the temple completely. And the temple was so important to the Jewish people. The temple represented God's presence. When the temple was built, God said, this is my home. This is where I will dwell, where you will come and meet with me. So with no temple, they felt like God had abandoned them. The Jewish people, they've lost all sense of autonomy as a nation, as a people. They have no control over their, their future. They are completely under the oppressive rule of the Babylonians. In these laments that come before the verses that we read today, the writer acknowledges the sin of the people that a lot of, of the reason that they are in the situation that they are in is because they had broken their, their promises, the covenants that they had made to God. They had worshipped other gods. But also in these verses that come before our passage today, the writer seems to be blaming God. 
why have you punished us so harshly? And how long, how long are you going to keep punishing us? There's certainly plenty to lament about. And the writer says in verse 20 that his mind just keeps remembering that Hebrew there that doesn't necessarily come through so well in our translation. It's a habitual memory and dwelling on the pain and the suffering almost uncontrollably, like a a real-life horror movie that keeps playing over and over again in his mind, and it is taking a toll He is losing hope. He says, my soul is downcast. The writer and the people of Judah, they feel like they're drowning. They don't know where to turn. And even as these laments call out to God, they wonder, is God still there? Is God still listening? Their situation is so terrible that they can't see beyond the light pollution and the clouds and everything that is blocking their view of a God who never changes, a God who is still there despite their circumstances. Sometimes it can be hard to remember that God is there, that God is always with us, especially when our lives are difficult when they're painful, when all we seem to hear is bad news. And that certainly seems to be the case lately. There is so much going on in this world. The war in Ukraine, war war games near Taiwan, world leaders threatening nuclear force. And then we have all these natural disasters, fires and floods and hurricanes and record-breaking heat, and it's enough to make us wonder, when is it going to end? But that bad news, it's not just out there. It hits us here in West Michigan. It seems like every day I read about another shooting. Inflation is affecting us here. The hits just keep on coming. But for some of you, maybe the bad news has hit even closer than that. Maybe There's been a diagnosis that has sent your world spinning. The loss of a loved one, broken relationships, job insecurity. Life is hard sometimes. The hits just keep coming. And it can be enough to make us wonder if God is still there. In my work as a chaplain, I meet many people who are struggling with these issues. I remember one man who I'll call Rick. When I met him, he told me in no uncertain terms, I don't believe in that God, so don't bother talking to me about him. But then as we did talk, he began to tell me how angry he was at this God he didn't believe in. Rick had lived a hard life His father had been abusive and an alcoholic, and they had been so poor that they, the kids just had to scrounge for what they could find. And as soon as Rick was old enough, he joined the military just to get out of the house. But then when he was stationed in active duty, he saw more pain, more suffering. And his question to me is, if God is there, why does he allow all of this? Why doesn't he stop it? 
he just kept replaying again and again the pain from his own life, the suffering that he saw in the world, and he couldn't escape it. And just like that writer in Lamentations, his soul was downcast. He couldn't see beyond the pain, beyond the circumstances to who God is, even though he had been taught as a child about God. When life seems to spiral out of control, we can be left wondering what to do. We can feel powerless. And we can sometimes wonder, where is God in the middle of all of this? Maybe we feel like God has forgotten us. Maybe we wonder if we can really believe that God is who he says he is. Is God faithful and just? Does God really care, or are we just on our own? Is God really a good God? Our vision of God becomes clouded and obscured by the pollution of our pain and our suffering. And this is exactly where the writer of Lamentations finds himself. He's, he's trapped in the recurring memories of suffering and pain. But then as we continue on in verse 21, he seems to come to a sort of realization. He has been dwelling on his suffering, and in the process, he has forgotten the importance of who God is. And so he begins to look past those present circumstances to see what has been there all along. The, the Hebrew there tells, gives, gives kind of the, the idea that he caused his mind to remember who God is. It was a deliberate change of focus, a, a force of will, basically, to see beyond what he could see to what was always there beyond, that God is there. God doesn't change. God's people have sinned greatly, but because of God's great love, they haven't been wiped out. They are still a nation, they're still a people, even though they're scattered. The Hebrew word that, that we read as love is hesed. It's one of my favorite Hebrew words, and anytime I come across it, I'm going to talk about it. And the literal translation of this word hesed is covenant faithfulness. When the writer uses this word, he is remembering that covenant that God made the promise when he said, I will be your God, you will be my people. And he's remembering that God doesn't change, that God doesn't go back on his word. He is a promise keeper even when his people break their promises. Because if he weren't, they would have been destroyed for breaking that covenant. This is unconditional love. Love that is beyond our comprehension. Love that never ends. Love without boundaries. Love that is fresh and new each day. And so the writer remembers this and his heart turns to hope. Where before he couldn't escape the memories of the pain and he kept rehearsing them, now he is turning and deciding to dwell on and remember every day 
who God is and what God's love is like. Every morning, meditate on that. Clear away the clouds, blocking your vision so that you can see the wonder of who God is. The beauty of the God who is always faithful and never changes. The God who is always there even when we can't see him or sense him. And when he meditates on this love and compassion of God, he realizes God is enough. God is all I need, and I can wait. I can wait and see what he's going to do. And when he's writing these words, he doesn't know how it's going to turn out. He doesn't know how much longer they're going to be suffering. But he trusts that because God has been faithful in the past, God will continue to be faithful in the future. These verses of hope, they come right in the middle of the book of Lamentations. They're a bright beacon of hope, and, and they are familiar to many of us. If you know the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it draws right from these verses. But it's important to note that they come after all the, the lament, all of the laying out of the pain and the suffering. And then shortly after the verses that we read, the, the writer returns again to that pain and to that lament. This tells me, and I hope it tells you, that it's okay. It's okay to lament. It's okay to bring our pain and our suffering to God. In fact, we should do that because of God's great faithfulness and love for us. In the placement of these verses right in the middle of that lament, they tell us that God is with us in the middle of our lament, in the middle of our pain and our suffering. God's chesed, that covenant of faithfulness, it came to fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, a verse that I'm sure many of us know, we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God himself came to be with us physically, in the middle of our pain and suffering. He didn't come to condemn us for the mess that we've made of things. He came to be with us in the mess and to rescue us from it. When Jesus was on earth, he experienced the pain of rejection and betrayal, the grief of losing someone he loved, the sorrow of watching those around him suffer. He experienced excruciating pain and humiliation. He understands the struggles that you face firsthand, and he is with you in the middle of them. And the good news is he took that mess upon himself when he went to the cross. Jesus knows us. He knows that we struggle. That's why he promised he would never leave you or forsake you. He doesn't leave you to go through whatever struggle or mess or pain you are facing alone. He leaves you with his Holy Spirit. A woman that I met early in my chaplaincy journey, she began to see this. Um, I met her 
several summers ago at Pine Rest, I'll call her Tina, and her story was very similar to Rick's. She had grown up in an abusive home. She had experienced so much pain and loss, and when I met her, she had just lost her favorite brother. He had taken his life, and this just pushed her over the edge. She felt like she couldn't take it anymore. She just wanted to escape the pain, the hopelessness. And she asked me over and over again, where was God? Does, is he even there? Does he exist? I mean, why didn't he stop this? Why did he allow my life to be so hard? While at Pine Rest, she explored her grief, and she learned that she could explore that with God, that she didn't have to keep it separate and in a box. She could, she could lay it out before God. And so she spent days doing just that. And then, right in the middle of her lament, God came, and God showed her how he had been there all along. He showed her how he had met her needs, how he had sent people into her life to help her through those hard times. And so the cloud and the pollution of pain and grief began to clear, and she began to see who God was. This sense of hope, it, it didn't end her pain. It didn't end her grief. She continued to lament but she knew that God was with her in that lament and that God would be with her as she began to try and put things back together and figure out a way forward. It can be hard to look past our circumstances, hard to hold on to hope in the face of all of the bad news that we get bombarded with every day. But we have the Holy Spirit that Christ left with us to help us. Jesus told his disciples, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. You have that Holy Spirit within you helping you to see beyond the circumstances. And that is the peace that Jesus leaves us with, a peace that is so much far surpassed by anything that we can make for ourselves, any kind of peace that is dependent upon our circumstances. Because the peace that the Holy Spirit gives us helps us to see beyond, beyond what is happening in our lives to what is really there, to a God who never changes, whose faithfulness never fails. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 8. He says there is so much more going on than what you can see or understand or sense. He talks about how when we are at the end, when we are so downcast we can't even put two words together in prayer, the Holy Spirit prays for you but also Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God the Father praying for you. Whether you can see it, whether you can feel it, the Spirit and the Son are praying for you. There's a quote that I love. I have it on my desk. 
to remind me of this. It's by a man named Robert Murray McShane, who was a pastor from Scotland in the mid-1800s. And he writes, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. When you find yourself overwhelmed by the bad news in the world, in your lives, Christ is praying for you. When you have no idea how you're going to get through the days ahead, Christ is praying for you. Like the myriad of stars and galaxies that are always there, even though we can't see them, God is there. His faithfulness never changes, and it never fails. Let's pray. Dear Lord, great is your faithfulness. We ask that you would help us to remember that. Thank you for the promise that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are always there, that your faithfulness is without end. Help us to live into that and to be comforted by that. In Jesus' name, amen.